Ronananian. And I'm trying to remember there was one other thing that really wasn't needed. Oh, a cabin air filter. Yeah, okay, big deal. I'm not going to stop the car. When you're a young college kid and you're trying to keep the car on the road, a cabin air filter is not going to stop in its tracks. Oh, it was a car. The Car Doctor. If I think there's a place where I've got a contact of what I'm not supposed to get, metal on metalers, I will actually start to paint the area drive it, and then come back and look. Did the paint rub off? Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, Ronnie and the Car Doctor here, 855-560-9900. Welcome aboard as we kick off this hour of the Car Doctor. I, you know, I got to start the conversation here today. And um, it, it always comes back to, you know, I'm a, I'm a victim of, I am influenced by what I see and hear out in the field each and every week. And some weeks I think, eh, everybody's crazy. I don't understand why they don't trust mechanics. And then some weeks I hear horror stories that just send chills up and down my spine. A friend of mine, Bob, he's a, a local guy. He's um, in and out of some transmission shops lately. He uh, he was at a long-time shop for about 20 years, and he's been moving around. He's looking for something else. And we all get like that. There's a little bit of wanderlust, I think, in everybody. And Bob's been b- bouncing in and out of a couple of different trans builders in the area just looking for something different than what he originally had it's time and he stopped by friday he stopped by this week uh, on his way home just to sit and talk and i think he needed a little therapy in terms of um you know, i could see he was down and he had just left his his, his most recent job it was his uh, second one in the past 12 months and you know still hasn't found that home to be and that's where a lot of guys in auto repair where everybody's looking for a home well guys in auto repair are no different and I said, well, you know, what's the matter? What 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 didn't you like about this place? And he said, Ron, I never saw a shop run so poorly. And, you know, just the guy's a liar. He's a thief. And I was like, wow. Um, you know, like pretty strong accusations. Like, what does he do wrong? And he proceeded to lay it out. And, you know, I said, listen, you could look at it this way. You could look at it that way. And he said, yeah, how about this? How about whenever we rebuild a transmission, he wants us to drain the old fluid out of the transmission, save it, dump it in a tank, and then when we put the new unit back in the car, we're just going to use the old fluid from anybody's car. And I said, well, I didn't know what quite to say. I, I, I was just like, how can that be? How can you just, how, how can you reuse any fluid? How can you reuse dirty fluid? How can you reuse fluid, reuse fluid with metal in it? And he said, yeah, that's why I'm not working there anymore. He said, because I... Just didn't understand the answer to that question either. He goes, I thought this guy was nuts, that it was just something, it was a momentary thing. He says, but this went on. He was there three weeks. He said, this went on for three weeks. How could I deal with that? You know, I've got to tell you that I really understand why nobody trusts mechanics. Uh, The more I'm in this, the more I look at this, and the more I talk to guys in this business, the more I understand why people don't trust mechanics. Mechanics do it to themselves. I don't understand how you can do that. I don't understand how you can rebuild a transmission and put used oil back in it. When somebody's paying you for fresh oil, you're just a thief. And, uh, 
you know, this industry this industry has to wake up because this isn't the kind of thing we can be fooling around with. We've really got to make sure cars are safe when we take them out on the road. And we've got to make sure that we're giving people the most bang for the buck that they can get because they're counting on them to move about. You have no idea how big a piece an automobile plays in part of the American economy and getting people around and uh, nonsense like that. Wow. So um, anyway, I just wanted to let you know that uh, I was inundated with that this week, and that kind of just blew my mind. So um, if you don't trust your mechanic, if you've got a shop that you're sort of skitterish about but you're not quite sure what it is, trust your gut. And by all means, if um, you've got a problem with your mechanic, give me a call, 855-560-9900, because um, I'm a guy you can trust. I've been doing this a while, and um, I've got no axe to grind. I'll, uh, I'll help you get down to the bottom of the problem and fix it. So um, that's what this radio show is all about. There's more information about this radio show out at cardoctorshow.com. You can also find links for TuneIn, iHeart, and iTunes.com. And if you need me during the week, Ron and cardoctorshow.com. So, um, you know, that's what it's all about. This radio show is about fixing your car. It's all about, you know, is your mechanic ripping you off? And uh, I'm starting to wonder more and more, like, how this industry has survived to the point that it has. It, uh, it sure is. Um, it's just filled with some amazing things. And some of the things Bob told me, I just... I can't even repeat them on air. They're just so horrible in terms of what guys do out there and uh, just just not not a good situation. So always be mindful of your mechanic. I was explaining to this. We were talking about it at the deli this morning for breakfast, and I was explaining this to Drew and the gang. And, um, I, you know, he said, what are you doing? I said, it's a trust thing. You've got to know the mechanic like you know your doctor. That's really what it's all about because what the mechanic does may not make sense to you, you got to judge it by the results, and you got to judge it by how it comes out on the other side. The trans shop that Bob just left, the guy's got a 65 70% comeback rate, and he seems to think that that's okay. I'm not sure if I do. I know I don't. But anyway, let's get over to phone lines. Harry, who's up first here on the uh, Car Doctor Hotline this hour? By the hey. way, let me introduce Fast Harry, my wonderful executive producer, and uh, he's uh, jumping in here, and he's going to tell us what's going on. Harry, what do you got? Well, Ron, we have uh, James in Durant, Iowa. He's got a 2013 GMC Terrain uh, with a factory GPS. The dial keeps spinning. The dealer can't fix it, so he's glad it at least found you. Well, good. I'm glad he's here. Jim, Ron and Andy in the car, doctor, sir. How can I help you? Hi, Ron. Yeah, I'm having trouble with my Terrain. Um, it's been in the dealer four times, and it's getting ready to go in a fifth time. Um, they just can't seem to diagnose it and fix it. They've done a... Oh, a couple resets. A global master reset was the last one, and they did an update, but nothing seems to be fixing it. It's just spinning and spinning. Okay. So when they do this, James, you know, is it is it in and out in a day? Are they driving it? Do they see the problem, or is this, a, a, you know, no problem found, return to customer conversation? Sometimes it's, well, it's been both because it's been in there a lot. Um we had the salesman drive, and he says, this used to be my vehicle. And he's like, it's not supposed to be doing that. I mean, right. you can just see it. It's just spinning. But they've also said it's fixed, and here you go. And sometimes it does work for a while, but it always ends up not working. Now, you know, two questions. Have they talked to General Motors about this, that potentially there's other problems with other 2013 terrains? And I have not seen a lot of these cause this particular problem, but maybe it's different in your region of the country, and that's my first question. Have they talked about any other vehicles coming in with this particular complaint? They said they were going to talk to GM, but we haven't got any confirmation that they have. Okay. Um, the last I heard Friday, they said they're going to order a tool so they can check the coax cable. They think there might be a connection with the antenna. 
Well, and I, you know, I don't fault that either. Uh, Just reference this bulletin to them, James. You got a pencil? Um, I believe it was document 880. It usually starts out as a PI, so it's PI0880A as an Apple. Um, Just a general conversation General Motors put this bulletin out for. It talks about issues with voice recognition, root guidance, DVD playback, uh, all sorts of problems that they were having with this particular system. And this just isn't on yours. This was on the Encores, the Camaros, the Malibus, Terrains, on a lot of the vehicles. And it was sort of a... Um, a step-by-step what to do if this works, if this doesn't work, try this, if this doesn't work, try that type of a bulletin. It it was in condensed form, so it was easier to read and understand. Perhaps the dealer tech can latch on to that. Naturally, I'm going to say I'm hoping they're doing a system scan, just looking to see if there are any fault codes in this particular vehicle, because fault codes will show up on a scanner, not necessarily on the dashboard. And then last Uh last but not least, you know, is the vehicle under warranty? But it is, and the funny thing is, is it's I got less than five hundred miles to go, and then you know the thirty six thousand miles is up. We bought it, you know, a nice used vehicle a couple months ago. Right. We kind of want to get this done. Before. Right. Well, and 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 keep in mind, and I would have this conversation with them that you know you've been reporting this while it was under warranty. How does it work when the vehicle gets out of warranty? Because before it leaves warranty, you want to make sure you have a clear understanding and you have all this documentation in writing before something bad happens here. I'm really surprised four times nobody's made an attempt to contact General Motors before this. I would put some heat on the manufacturer. I would put some heat on the dealership and perhaps consider finding a different dealership if you have that option to take it to. That's one of my questions. I was also going to ask if I should call GM, like a customer service, and, you know, sidestep the dealer because maybe I should go that route. You know, the only problem with that is it's sort of the um, it's the slap in the face to the dealer. How are they treating you at the dealership? Are they beating you up or are they really making an honest effort? Well, it's hard to tell. You know, I don't think they're trying to beat us up. But then again, we just get... You know, one of the, the complaints was it was our iPhone. Well, it's your iPhone causing the interference. You need to go to your provider, your cell phone. We're like, I don't think they can fix our car. <laughs> like they'd laugh at us. Right. Yeah. No. I think. Um, I think. I think that's. Uh, I think that's really. That's an excuse. Uh, you know what? Yeah. It's. It's. Let's take. Some, let's take a firm stand. Let's go back to the dealer. Let's go back to the service writer. Let's take the position of, hey, you've had the car three times, four times, whatever it's been, nothing's gotten resolved. The vehicle's under warranty. I bet if the check hadn't cleared, you would have been happy to help me. Either you fix it or I'm going to have to go talk to the manufacturer or go talk to the, uh, you know, I'm going to have to go get a different dealer. Whatever you've got to do to turn the heat up at that point. They've got to want to fix the car, James. All right? I don't care what it is. They've got to want to fix the car. And if they don't want to fix the car, then they're just wasting your time and theirs. And obviously they don't value time because that's what they think they've got plenty of and just goofing off. So um, I would take whatever steps you have to, but I would take the bull by the horns, show them this document, and let's see where they go from there. All right, sir? All right. Thank you, Ron. You're very welcome, James. Stay in touch, and uh, let's hope that things work out for the best. 855-560-9900. Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor, back right after this.
Welcome back. We're on an evening, the Car Doctor, 855-560-9900, the Car Doctor's 24-7 hotline. Give us a call whether or not we're on the air, and uh, we can hook you up, get you in queue. After you get to talk to Fast Harry, our executive producer, and we'll get you in the uh, mix for next week or the following week and uh, talk about your car problem here on air. But right now, let's get over to Fast Harry. Harry, who do we have next up on the Car Doctor hotline? Hey, Ron, uh, now we have Butch from Galesville, Wisconsin. He's got a 2003 Ford Escape. It's got a melted EGR valve, but the real issue is his wife is on his case. Uh-oh. That's a problem. It's the wife's car. All right, let's see if we can do a little, uh, create some marital harmony here and to help Butch out. Butch, welcome to the car, Dr. Sir. What's going on? Hello, Ron. Yes, sir. We've got that 2003 Ford Escape with the V6 in. Right. And it melted the EGR valve and the pressure feedback Switch right, right, the DPFE, the pressure feedback yep. transducer, sure. And we put it on the code reader after we replaced it, and we got a P303, which is just a misfire. Right. So I went and put new, plug, new plugs, new wires, new coils on, and got less than 10 miles, and it melted the pressure feedback sensing unit again. Okay, here's what you need to do. Here's the fix. If you look at that DPFE, that uh, DPFE sensor, There's going to be a high port hose or a pressure hose that is there. There's a there's a feedback and there's a high port hose. You want to tap it. You want to tap a vacuum gauge into that, okay? And when you tap the vacuum gauge into it, just do a brief wide open throttle. You know, hold one foot on the brake and go wide open throttle. Watch the gauge. You're reading back pressure of the exhaust. The back pressure can't go over two psi. If it goes over two psi. You've got a restricted exhaust system, and that's what's melting the exhaust, the EGR and the DPFE sensor itself. My guess is it's got a partially melted or obstructed catalytic converter, which was very, very common on these cars. All right. All right. Now the I fact will. now the fact that it's got a it reported a misfire fault. Yep. Butch, you know, it it could be that the misfire damaged the cat, which then took out the EGR, or it could be that the restricted cat is causing a charge dilution issue up in the cylinders and creating a misfire that way. So first things first, if you fix the cat and then the EGR, if that's what it is, you fix the cat, the EGR, and whatever melted, as long as there are no other reported misfires, chances are you'll be okay because you probably fixed it when you did plugs and wires. But if you're still reporting misfires, you've got to diagnose that. That's going to be a secondary problem unto itself. All right. All right, sir. That'll I really be, appreciate the help. You're Thank very you. welcome, sir. Good luck to you, and uh, we hope we keep the peace there in the household. Um, very important. So good luck to you, Butch. Let's get on and talk to John Banger, Maine. Some comments and questions about five-speed transmission cars. John, you're on with the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Hi. Yeah, just uh, just curious, your thoughts on uh, five-speed cars. They seem to uh, be going the way of the dinosaur here. Yep, they sure are. And I think I think that's partly because... You know, people want to just get in a car and drive them. I don't know that we're in as love with driving cars as we once were, John, beyond, uh, you know, just going to work. And maybe it's because, you know, maybe it's the economy. It it, it seems like everyone is struggling to survive today, and we're, we're in the hustle and bustle and the running around. And, you know, there's no trips to Chuchistan. You know, when I was a kid, and we've talked about this here on the show, uh, you know, my dad, when my dad was alive, he would throw the three of us into the back of the 63 Lincoln that he had. My dad was an old Lincoln guy, and this was the uh, this was the uh, mid-60s, um, mid to late 60s before he passed. 
and it would be, uh, where are we going, Dad? We're going for Chuchistan. Get in the car and let's go. Shut up. <laughs> and we would just go out for rides on Sunday, and we'd end up in Pennsylvania looking at cows and farms and, you know, everything under the sun. And then we'd come home, and my mom would go, Harry, did you get the milk? He was Harry, too. And he'd be like, yeah, of course, we had gotten the milk from the corner store, but um, it did say Pennsylvania milk on it. It was Pennsylvania milk, so we could say, yeah, we went to Pennsylvania to get fresh milk, and he wasn't lying, sort of. But the point is, we liked driving then, and we had the time to drive then. And, you know, we were in a we – it was more of a romantic period with cars. Now people get in a car, and it's, I got to go, I got to go, I got to get here, I got to get there. I, I, You know, and I think the other part of this is I don't think people want to go through the effort. They, yeah. they, they, you know, they want to just get in a car. They want the car to drive them. Look at where the trends are. I read this morning in the paper by 2021 – Maybe not completely self-driving cars, but you'll be able to hit a button and the car will navigate the on-ramps and the off-ramps of highways and interstates. Wow. So people just don't want to be, you know, they want to be driven. And that's sad because we're giving up a freedom. We're giving up the ability to go where we want, when we want, how we want. And I don't think people are going to realize what they had until it's too late and it's gone. And I just, you know, the other thing about five-speed cars is I think they were good because it kept people coordinated, you know? You, you found out who could chew gum and walk at the same time. And uh, yeah, sometimes sometimes yeah. not that easily, but you found out. And, you, you know, it taught people to be more aware. And we've automated the process of driving now to the point that, you know, Uncle Steve said it best when he was flying the P-51 during the war. The single most important piece of a, of a pilot flying a P-51 was his neck. Because he said, while you were sitting there flying, you were always looking around. You're doing this, you're looking up, you're looking down, you're looking left, you're looking right. People don't look anymore. They don't need to. The car just about drives itself. They're too busy talking on their phone or playing on their iPad, reading the newspaper. I saw somebody the other day reading a book, driving the car and talking on the phone at the same time. I couldn't believe it, uh, you know, and, and it's we're doing everything but driving the car today. And I think that's why five speed cars are going away. As far as I'm concerned, if you can find a five speed car and you're coordinated enough to drive it, I almost think it should be mandatory because somewhere you wonder in a life and death situation, if someone's faced with the task of they've got to be able to drive a stick, can they? You wonder if they could. And um, I just think it's that important. I think everybody should learn how to drive a stick at some point or another. Ron and Andy in the car, Doctor. We're back right after this. Welcome back. Ron and Eating, the Car Doctor, cruising along this hour at 855-560-9900. That is the Car Doctor's 24-7 number. You can call 855-560-9900. Anytime, day or night, this radio show is live Saturday afternoons, 2 to 4 p.m. If you call that number, leave a message. Our executive producer, Fast Harry, will call you back and uh, get you in queue. And we can talk about your car problem up here on air. A couple of questions today have come up with regard to vehicle maintenance and getting ready for winter and um, older vehicles with low mileage on them. And we've been talking about a bunch of different options uh, this afternoon as we uh, roll along. 
And I noticed that a lot of your questions obviously still center around oil and what types of oil and what brands and what weights and, you know, what can you do oil-wise. I think if you're looking for the best protection for the vehicle, if the concern is you want to drive the vehicle longer, and we were having this conversation at the shop, I would be standing there telling you, flat out, nothing beats synthetics, all right? A synthetic motor oil is a better base stock oil. It is a better base to build from, and it is better for the vehicle overall. And when you look at all the things that oil has to do today in an engine, it's so much more than just lubrication. It's involved in, obviously, lubrication and heat dissipation and uh, preventing varnish and sludge buildup. But it's also responsible for activating valve trains, solenoids, variable valve timing, um, you know, changing cam shaft position. They're doing all sorts of things with oil today that you don't want any of these components to get dirty. You don't want to have any issues. You don't want to have any failures. And it's just that important. And that's why, you know, when we talk about oil here on The Car Doctor and we talk about the best, we talk about Pennzoil. And not to make this the commercial, but we don't seem to talk enough about the fact that their brand of synthetic is the best on the market because they start from a pure base stock oil, their natural grass derivative, and that's where their synthetic oil comes from, and that's what makes it as good as it is. So for all the questions today that we're talking about synthetic motor oil, get out to MotorOilReimagined.com, and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. It's a very interesting uh, very interesting uh, uh, thing to read and, and, and be discussed with uh, as far as how it works and what it does, and um, just due diligence in terms of homework. Quick piece of email. Hey, Ron, uh, where did it go? I'm in the market for a new vehicle next year. Here it is. I'm looking at the Explorer, Highlander, Durango, and Traverse. I wanted your thoughts, pros, and cons on these picks. Thanks, John. P.S. Goober says, hey, well, I know who this is. This is John from South Carolina. He's a um, longtime listener. He's actually from New Jersey, and he moved down to South Carolina. Listens to us down there. Um, that's right. I think his mechanic's name is Goober. I don't think there was a Goober, but I guess there is. Let's see. What's John talking about here? Explorer. We'll save that for the end. Highlander. Toyota Highlander. Nice vehicle. Um, not much bad you can say about a Toyota. Um, you know, one of the positives or one of the things that they're really stellar at, I should say it like that, is Toyota has the ability to share service information very easily and freely with independent repair shops. Hey, if I've got a stake in this and you're going to ask me what kind of car to buy, sure, I'm going to tell you to buy something I can fix if I'm your mechanic. And if anybody out there has a concern with, you know, bringing their car to an independent repair shop, Toyota is one of those cars that they make it pretty easy to get information and be able to do what they need to do. Um, unlike, let's say, some of the German car experiences that they lock up the information tighter than, um, oh, I don't know, than the prisoners at Stalag 13. We'll, we'll say it like that. So, uh, you know, Toyota, good company, good vehicle. I think you have to fit the vehicle. That's important. Durango. You asked about a Durango. Let me tell you my Durango story. I've got a customer with a 2005 Dodge Durango. The shift lever cable, or the shift selector cable, has been on outer space, intergalactic, national back order, never going to see it, since March. The last release date was November 5th, this past week. When I called and checked, it came up, call Chrysler. When we called Chrysler, no release date announced yet. So, uh, you know, and I'm not saying Chrysler's the only one that has this, but I notice more and more with Chrysler that 
they're having parts issues. They don't seem to have the backlog like they once did. Is it something with fiat and the bookkeeping and they're trying to get older things off the books? I don't know. But I got to tell you, if I can't get parts and I can't get information, Chrysler is the most expensive aftermarket scan tool, in my opinion. It's like $3,600 to have dealer-level tool, and it renews every year at an annual rate of $1,500, $1,600. Too much money. It's ridiculous. So unless you're in love with it, the Durango's off the list. Chevy Traverse. Chevy Traverse, decent vehicle. Um, I, I think it's you've got to fit it. Some service issues, a little tough to do an oil change on. The oil filter's in a stupid place, for lack of a better way to put it. Just not uh, really technician-friendly. And uh, General Motors still to this day, they make a decent vehicle, but they also make one of those vehicles that you sit there and you wonder, what was the engineer thinking when he designed this? Because obviously technician-friendly wasn't exactly at the top of his list. Then you come to the Ford Explorer. Well, let's talk about this. Ford 2 makes service information very easy and fairly affordable for the repair shop technician. Now, if you're going to be a dealer customer and you don't care, hey, great. You know what? Buy whatever you want. It doesn't matter. But if you're looking to continue your relationship with your independent repair shop, you want to think about what it is that you're buying because you're going to have to bring it to them to get it fixed, and they've got to struggle to get information even though, yeah, it's out there, and the Right to Repair Act has done some wonderful things, but it's not as great as everybody makes it out to be, um, you know, go look at an Explorer. From a mechanical perspective, I would say Explorer and Highlander are on par and even with each other, and the Traverse is probably going to come up number three. The uh, Dodge Durango, eh, if you can get parts and the parts haven't fallen off of it by the time you get a chance to drive it, yeah, that's number four on the list. So, John, if you're out there listening and you haven't fallen asleep yet, to this answer this email question, um, I would say in the order that you wrote it, Explorer, Highlander, I would take Traverse and then Durango. Go look at them all. Go drive them all. Make sure they fit your need because that's very, very important. Drove a brand-new spanking 2016 Explorer the other day. Real solid, real tight vehicle. And um, if I was out looking for a car and that was one of the ones, the conversation would have been over two minutes ago, which... For those of you who have been listening since the beginning of this segment, maybe that would have been a better answer for you. I'm not really quite sure. 855-560-9900. I'm Ron Anini and the Car Doctor, and I'll return right after this. Welcome back. Ron and the Car Doctor here at 855-560-9900. The Car Doctor's 24-7 number. Let's uh, get on over to the phones. Let's go talk to Rick in Connecticut. Oh, Rick's not there. Oh, we lost Rick. Okay, well, here, listen. I know what Rick's question was. Rick had a question about an 06 Dodge Durango that had a charging system issue, and his question that Harry typed out for me was, why does the charging system have to go through the onboard computer? Why do they have to make things more complicated? Rick, I'll tell you what, if you're out there and you're still listening, his phone dropped out. I'm sorry we lost you. Um, understand this. In an attempt to make vehicles more compact and, you know, less parts, the more they can get electronics to do, 
the better for them. They they it's it's cheaper to manufacture electrical components over a longer haul than it is to make individualized voltage regulators and covers and mounting screws and wiring harness, less wiring, less things, less things to go wrong, less connections. So as complicated as it becomes, it is easier to deal with over the long haul for the manufacturer. Got to remember, the other factor becomes for every part they put on that new car, they've got to hold that and build that in inventory, and they've got to store it for anywhere from five to six years. I think seven is is the minimum now, actually. I take that back, and we're seeing them keep some things longer and longer. Um, funny you call and you write up, you ask about a, uh, a Dodge Durango, 2005 Durango. I can't get a shift cable for it. It's been on back order for months and months and months. So back to your question. They run the charging system through the PCM because that gives them very accurate control, and it also gives them the ability, you know, if they can control charging better, they can control load and drain on the engine, how the alternator is working, and that affects fuel economy and performance and helps control emissions. The name of the game is emissions. They're always chasing emissions on vehicles. They don't really care about anything else, even though they might say that they do. So always keep that in mind. How would I diagnose a charging system fault? First thing I would do is obviously a voltmeter to the battery, vehicle running, what do I see? If I don't have charging system voltage, if it's not over 12.5 volts, if I'm not seeing 13.8, 14.2, something like that, first place I'm going, I'm going to grab a scan tool, scan it for codes. What sort of faults are in the computer? There are issues with... The charging system, it'll set codes, and it'll make diagnosis that much easier. I'm sorry we lost your call, Rick, but um, if you can, give us a call back, and we can talk about it a little bit deeper in depth. Let's get on over to to line one and talk to John, Edison, New Jersey. Some questions about a 97 Jeep Wrangler. John, you're on with the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Oh, well, I've been trying to track down a problem with a cylinder one misfire. Okay. Uh, it's a 97 Wrangler with a 4.0 engine. Right. Hundred. Uh, how many miles? High mileage? Hundred and seventy thousand. Okay, and you're getting uh, you're getting an intermittent cylinder one misfire. Yeah, it's a P three hundred one code on the on the ODB two. Okay, and uh, I've done some part replacing based on other problems. That I would have hoped also would have fixed that. So I have a new distributor in it because the other one the holes were stripped out on. Uh, so I also have done two caps and rotors, plugs, wires. Uh, I had a bad fuel pump, so I replaced that and. I also I did find a previous uh, technical service bulletin about that engine with bad valve strings. So I'm not in the part replacing, but I took the chance and popped the valve cover off, did the spring replacement and the rocker replacement, and I still can't fix the problem. Right. Then, then I'm sure you saw the bulletin that talks about the number three injector and the heat shrink insulation they want you to put around the injector for fuel boil. Have you seen uh, that? I did Have, not see that one, actually. Well, and I don't know that that's going to fix your problem either. I can I can tell you the two extremes you can go to, and one of these will be the answer. All right, because it sounds like you've run through the normal drill. The first is, if you look at the injector wiring, you, right. you can change the driver so that, let me think about this a minute, there is a way to flip the wires at the PCM, so that you will substitute the driver for injector one to injector four, for example, and flip the other one back to one so that you'll be using a different driver so you'll determine is it the injector or is it it PCM if you get to that point. 
Right. I can tell you that the injector itself is good because I swapped it to the cylinder too, okay. and the spire didn't move. Right. So. so, so now the question is: Do we have an injector problem? Do, is the is is the problem in the in the driver of the PCM, or is it something right. else? I can tell you where the problem probably is, and you're not going to see it easily. It is. Right. It is probably carbon on the exhaust valve. That's okay. That's now, that's I, what everybody I, misses. Let me finish. That's what everybody right. misses, and all the carbon cleanings in the world won't fix that because the combustion process has already taken place because, obviously, it's before the exhaust valve. Right. So then what's the answer to that, a valve job? Mm, before you go that route, fill the cil- take the spark plug out, fill right. the cylinder with a decarbonizing material, okay? And you right. you want to try and fill that cylinder higher than the top of the exhaust valve. So you've got to bring the cylinder around, open the exhaust valve so that the material can get up around the other side of the valve. Gotcha. Okay, and let it soak for a while. And then Oof. and then pull the plug back out or pull out whatever you're using to put the fluid in and obviously crank the engine around, blow the fluid out. You don't want to create hydrostatic lock issues. All right, and then run it. Is this an intermittent problem, John? Is it like... You know, every once was, in a while, it was an intermittent problem that it would go away. And uh, funny, after the after it sat for like it sat for like three or four weeks because I had a frame rust repair issue that I had to take care of. So once right. I repaired the frame rail and dropped it back down, now it's been constant ever since then. Okay. So is the cylinder missing hardcore all the time, or you just get the code? Uh, it's definitely running rough now at idle. Okay. I get. I, as I accelerate up, it, it seems to smooth out, but that just might be because it's yeah, the no. harmonics of the then, engine. So then, you know, if if you can prove the injector is doing its job and firing, and you know, if it would be nice if you had access to a lab scope and you could just look at the firing line of the injector, if you can prove that, then I would chase things mechanical at this point. I wouldn't worry about a compression test. I would do things more along the lines of a cylinder leak down test. And if you find that the cylinder leak down test fails, fill it up with air, close the valves. It fails a leak down test. I would chase it from the point of carbon on the exhaust valve. Nobody ever looks there. They always think carbon on the intake. Trust me, I've seen plenty of the four O's. I've had more than a few in my life. And, um, uh, you know, you tend to see carbon build up on the exhaust valve. It won't close properly and it'll create this condition and uh, it'll drive you nuts trying to find it. So go through that routine if you need more. Ron at cardoctorshow.com. I'll do what I can for you. 855-560-9900. The Car Doctor's coming back right after this. Maybe you can drive my car. kind of winding it down this hour. By the way, I should point out that um, if you're thinking of me Monday night, I have to go somewhere Monday night. It's time. I got to go take my ASEs. I have to go back through certification again. Now, I don't have a lot of time, and my research's coming up in six months. So I figured rather than go take eight courses individually or eight tests individually, I'm just going to go take all eight at once, see what the heck happens. How hard could it be? Um, you know, I tend to just walk in, walk out. I go sit down for six hours, take the test, and leave. 
Um, so uh, think of me Monday night, uh, East Coast time, between the hours of 4 and midnight. Um, I'll be there with my little pencil going, A, B, C. Nah, that guy's wrong. This is, you know, and I love the ASC test because it's always, you know, if the card does this, is it this, this, or this? And my first question is, who worked on it? What kind of parts did they use? And, you know, how much money are we trying not to spend in order to repair it properly? So I was probably the wrong guy. If I ever wrote an ASC test, you would probably have 27 multiple-choice answers with three paragraphs under each one because there is no clear-cut answer. Uh, You know, it can be, is it problem A, B, or C? And you're just too jaded. But anyway, um, and on that note, I just want to point out, I want to thank the folks over at AC Delco. AC Delco um, has a pile of technician training. They have their technician training excellence program going on, and um, I did use it, and it did help me brush up on some of my uh, test-taking skills because it's not something we do every day in the repair shop. We're in the real world, and um, I want to point out for my brother technicians out there, if they're interested and they're taking their ASCs, get out to ACDelco, ACDelco.com, I believe it is. You're going to read more about their ASC test-taking program. But anyway, think of me, and until the next time, I'm Ron Anany, the car doctor, reminding you the mechanics aren't expensive, they're priceless. See ya! See ya!